It's a pleasure to be preaching this morning, a little change of pace. And our scripture reading will be from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But first, a brief introductory note. You'll see uh, that Luke tells this little story at the beginning of his gospel with a lot of intentionality. And it's a story about one of the Bible's strangest characters, John the Baptist. Um, if you don't know what the lectionary is, Micah and I are lectionary preachers, and it's a list of recommended scripture passages for every Sunday of the year. And when you get to Advent, uh, it's basically all mean passages. So, sorry about that. Uh, it's not our fault. Uh, this is one of those. Um, and the way John starts it is with two confusing verses about history, one verse about what John the Baptist did, uh, and then what we read earlier from the book of Isaiah. And we're going to talk about all of that. But hear now the word of God. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Eturia, and Trachonitis and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The man at, this, at the heart of this story is sort of a mess. When you see a picture that someone has drawn or painted of John the Baptist, uh, people, people usually get most of it right. His hair is long and wild and unkept. He's wearing an unpleasant-looking robe uh, with a rope as a belt, and he is eating food that he finds lying around. Um, not like good food, but like locusts. Uh, low standards. He's a crazy-looking man, and the pictures most always nail it. John the Baptist is wild. But there is one assumption that a lot of these pictures make that I'm not so sure about. They often have John the Baptist smiling. They make John the Baptist sort of like a crazy cousin. People see him coming or they smell him coming and they laugh and say, Oh, there's John. And then he gives a big belly laugh and wanders over and he's smiling and he's giving hugs. He probably high fives you as you walk by. And he leaves you thinking, Oh, there's John the Baptist. Crazy, but a nice guy. And if this picture of John is right, he'd go around proclaiming repentance sort of like this. Hey, Ananias, I heard that word you used when you hit your finger with a hammer. You know, you shouldn't be using that kind of language. You need to repent of that. And Hannah, you were acting a little spoiled when you pitched a fit in the market earlier. You know your parents don't need to buy you everything you want, silly girl. Just do a little better on that. Thanks, everybody. Good talk. Group hug. <laughs> when this smiling John the Baptist proclaims a repentance for the forgiveness of sins, he says repentance real soft and forgiveness real loud. 
He's really just about getting people forgiven. He doesn't want you to feel bad about yourself. Just a friendly reminder, a public service announcement, probably a good time to apologize. I think this is the part that the pictures get wrong. I mean, I'm sure that John the Baptist does smile from time to time, and I don't doubt that he has his nice moments, but that's not the story Luke is telling. John is not primarily a friendly guy. He's a man on a mission. He's got his eyes on one thing. It consumes his every thought. It's all he thinks about. It's all he talks about. It's all he does is talk about how God's salvation is coming. He's obsessed with it. He wakes up wondering if today is the day he'll meet the Savior, and he spends all day noticing everything that's not ready for the Savior's arrival. Uh, And I was thinking about that in a story to illustrate it, and I realized that I have lived this moment, and it's when my mother was preparing to have company over. And the more important the company, the more true this story is. You have company coming over, and someone in your house is scrambling to get things cleaned, vacuumed, dusted, the food cooked. They're trying to get ready for the visitor's arrival. And they see another member of the family strolling by, dribbling crumbs, stomping in with dirty shoes, undoing all that hard work. Uh, If you don't recognize the story, that's because you're the one dribbling crumbs. I was in that situation, I would say, you'd better turn around and clean up what you just did, which, by the way, is literally what repent means. Turn around and change. And as I was remembering these moments, my mother watching me and my sisters casually undoing her hours of hard work, her tone was not, oh, Brian, you know you shouldn't leave wrappers and crumbs all over the counter. It was, they will be here in 20 minutes, and you thought this was a good idea. And this is John's situation. He has literally received a message from heaven. God leaned over and said to John, I'm coming. Get everyone ready. And John sets out and notices what? People cheating each other out of money, stealing, greed, people being unfaithful, people neglecting God's law. People are not ready for God's arrival. So John starts telling them, and I don't think he's friendly about it. I think it's more like, hey, Ananias, did you use God's name in vain? Seriously? Do you even realize that God is holy? Hey, everyone, Ananias just used God's name in vain. You better repent of that. You better repent because God is coming, and you don't want to be cussing when God comes. Not everyone is supposed to be John the Baptist. Thank goodness. People like John the Baptist are pretty rare, thank goodness, because to be honest, he's not someone you're sure you want as a friend. John the Baptist is a true fanatic. All he's thinking about is that God is coming back. He's puritanical. He's not smiling and laughing. When people see him coming, they don't laugh and say, oh, there's John, crazy, but a nice guy. When people see John the Baptist coming, they walk the other way. They hide all their guilty pleasures until he's gone, because John's the guy who will bring it up. You can imagine if you let John loose in a church, any church, you can imagine the things he'd say. He'd be the one taking attendance on Sunday morning and then following up on people's absences. And when you say you're sick, he'd call your doctor and double-check. You'd find him digging through your trash for a paycheck so he can see if you're tithing or not. 
He'd appear next to you when you drift off to sleep in church and stand up and start pointing right here. Hey, everyone, we've got a sleeper right here. And after church, he'd drag you out to help the poor and needy, just grab you by the collar and off you go. No, not everyone is supposed to be John the Baptist. People like John the Baptist only come along once in a while, and I think we can all be glad about that. Because when you have a John John the Baptist in your face, it's easy to get defensive. We get upset about how this robe-wearing, messy, bearded, yelling man is treating us. He makes us feel bad about ourselves and our behavior. He gets on to us for every little thing we're doing. Everything is a huge deal. Every word we say and every dollar we spend is a huge deal. So here's my question. What's up with John? What's wrong with this guy? Does he wake up on the wrong side of the bed every day? Did someone steal his candy when he was a kid and now he's just sour on the whole life thing? It really seems like John the Baptist just has a few screws loose. Isn't he too heavy on the repent thing? What you have to realize about this passage is that John only sees two options for the world. He sees God's way, and he sees the world's way, and that's it. There is no a little bit of both way. There is no mix-and-match option, which is why Luke starts this story with the little introduction I mentioned earlier. Your brain might have skipped over it because of the 12 unfamiliar names, which I did have to practice five times. Hear it again. When Luke starts this story, he starts with, In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Eturia and Trachonatus, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene. You may not know those names, but you probably do know Pontius Pilate. Whatever you feel about the state of politics in the United States, we don't have Pontius Pilate. He killed the people who didn't like them. He was known for being so ruthless that Emperor Tiberius, who you also heard mentioned, and was known for being ruthless, was worried about how violent Pontius Pilate was. And those other two names, Herod and Philip, are corrupt kings who tax people so they can build their palaces, tax to starvation. So when John sees people choosing the world's way, this is the twist, when John sees people choosing the world's way, he thinks they have a few screws loose. He thinks they're confused. When he sees people breaking God's law or using God's name in vain or whatever, he thinks they must be crazy, which is why John is not walking around smiling. He's walking around yelling. Are you people out of your mind? You're actually going to bet on the governor who's going to kill you if you cross him. You're actually going to bet on the world that's going downhill. You're actually going to bet that buying that, doing that, seeing that is going to be what makes you happy. John thinks we're all nuts. He thinks people are mean, people are starving, people are dying, people are gossiping about each other, people are betraying each other. Sure, sometimes we do all right. But in general, John the Baptist sees a world where people are intent on hurting each other, taking advantage of each other, and above all, John sees a world where people are ignoring God. Which wouldn't be such a big deal, except that John got that message. God is coming. So John the Baptist starts wandering around, wearing his robe and his crazy beard, yelling that everyone is making a huge mistake. We need to get some things straight. We need to choose God's way because this other way is no good. It's a dead end. It's rotten. 
told you Advent was fun for preachers. The passage Lori read earlier from Isaiah started with comfort. What does this have to do with comfort? Luke quotes the book of Isaiah to explain what's going on, and that's confusing. A quick background on the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet who was sent by God to talk to Israel when they were in exile. Israel had been unfaithful to God, and because of that, God allows another nation, Babylon, to sweep in, take them over, drag their rulers away uh, to a different country, steal all their money, and leave them. And Isaiah is the one who sent to reassure them. Isaiah told them that God hadn't forgotten them. He explained that God wouldn't leave them like that. God was going to bring back their rulers. He was going to restore their treasure and build their cities again and restore their nation. God was still in charge and God was going to take care of them. Isaiah says all of this to them and the part that Luke is quoting is the heart of Isaiah's 66 chapter promise. It goes like this. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Where it says the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, that guy is obviously John. John is the voice crying out in the wilderness and he is preparing the way of the Lord. He's calling people back to God's way, but he's not doing it so that we can fix the world. He's not saying, listen, everyone, repent, and we can fix this thing. We can fix the hunger and the corruption and the greed if we just do it a little bit better. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, everyone, God is coming to fix this thing. He's on his way. He's going to fix it all, and when he gets here, we need to be ready. He's saying, we're the problem. He's saying that we're the reason there isn't peace. We are the ones in the way of God's peace. If we want peace, we need to repent and get out of God's way because peace isn't passive. Peace takes a lot of hard work. This is why we talk about John the Baptist in Advent. We talk about him because he's reminding us that God is coming. He's reminding us that we can choose between God's way and the world's way, and John doesn't understand for the life of him why any of us would choose the world's way. He doesn't understand why we wouldn't give everything to God. He doesn't understand why we'd hedge our bets, because as John sees it, God is our only hope. The world really hasn't changed that much in 2,000 years. The description sounds about the same. Rulers are still corrupt. People still gossip and betray. The way of the world is what it has always been. And John wants nothing to do with it. He's all in on God. He's choosing God's way, and he is vocal about telling everyone around him that he thinks they're crazy for doing anything else. John the Baptist. Now, I'm not asking any of you to be John the Baptist. They are a hassle in any church. They cause all kinds of trouble. They don't step on toes. They stomp on toes. They hurt feelings. They talk loudly, and they carry a large stick. I'm not asking any of you to be John the Baptist. I don't want to be John the Baptist. But as we ready our hearts for Christmas, I am going to invite you to spend a day with him. Wonder what John might be saying to you this holiday season. You don't have to keep him around. I don't expect you to put a poster of him on your wall. 
but John the Baptist is really great for some annual cleaning. He's great for dragging that stuff out from where we swept it under the rug or hid it in a closet and asking us why we still haven't dealt with that situation. So this Christmas season, this Advent, as we prepare for Christ to come, invite John the Baptist into your life to look around. It won't be pleasant. It won't be fun. But the path to peace isn't. The path to Christ's peace is not passive. It begins with repentance. It takes work, and that work starts right here. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of peace, that you are a God of love. We thank you that you send people like John the Baptist into our lives to remind us of your way, to call us back to you. And we thank you that you are always quick to forgive, that you are abounding in steadfast love and mercy, that you are seeking after our face because you love us. Help us to prepare our hearts, our homes, our city for you this Christmas season because we seek to honor you and all that you have done. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.